and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon here with my friend and Chavruta Yerdena Azband, our daf of the day, Masachik Tubot, daf Memvav, page 46. This daf is long and it is chock full. And we had to finagle to figure out exactly what we were going to leave out because there's enough to talk about that way. Um, so we encourage you to, to read through it. Um, some of it is complicated as following through some of this discussion about um, defamation, right? When when somebody brings a case of Motsi Shemra, again, defamation, um, and what happens if that is found to be true? What happens if it's found to be not true? What happens if it's found that the woman in the case of the defamation has brought what we call conspiring witnesses, plotting witnesses, right? So that there can be, you know, if we talked about yesterday, we thought of it as a, a potential for a soap opera, the the ramifications and permutations of what can happen uh, continue and grow. Um, I want to talk here uh, on Ahmed Aleph, uh, midway through the page, um, through the Ahmed, I mean, there's a discussion here about how this procedure continues. Like, what happens when somebody brings a case of Motzei Shemra, of defamation? And of course, there's a machloket. My Rebbe, I don't know, my Rebbe, Elizabeth Yaakov. We've got this dispute between Chachamim, Rabbanan, and Rebbe Elizabeth Yaakov. Ditanya, there's a this is found in the Breitna. How does it happen that one brings this case of defamation? from Motsi Shemra. So they came to the court, right? Meaning the husband would come to the court and say to the father, right? Because this is a this is a, an offense that can be blamed on the father, the fact that there's a problem, so to speak with the daughter, right? Assuming the issue of defamation here is in fact true. If it's, uh, I guess that doesn't, that's not true. Meaning either way, the husband's claim is against the father because of the woman as opposed to, or the girl, as opposed to it being a, a dispute or a conflict between the man and wife, husband and wife that you might think it was. I want to also note, because I didn't comment on this yesterday and perhaps I should have, um, the distinction here that we saw yesterday in terms of strang strangulation versus stoning is based on a verse in, or or is because of a verse in Devarim, which is specific, which specifies defamation. Motzei about a naara, naara nun I and resh hey, which is there written in full, and they learn from that, right? Details from that that there's a specific kind of, you know, terrible allegation. When the Motsi Shemra, when this defamation is brought against the younger woman as opposed to a more mature woman. And that's where we get that. That's why that becomes the, the focus of the conversation um, in yesterday's stuff. In any case, here we go. He says, to so-and-so, meaning to the father, I did not find the signs of virginity in your daughter. Right, which is a really, you know, unpleasant kind of conversation to think about them having to begin with, let alone bringing this in court, right? So if we want to think of the soap opera angle of this, there's a great deal of, I, I want to say animosity. I don't know that it's animosity. I don't know that there has to be anger between the, the son-in-law and the father-in-law. But what's certainly going on here is something unpleasant, right? Like the fact that he's coming to court with all of this. So 
what happens? He comes to the court. He says, I haven't found that your daughter is a virgin. And now the question is, are there witnesses who can testify to the fact that she has indeed committed adultery? Meaning that she what the presumption then is that she was a virgin. She did have signs of a virginity when she came into the marriage. They had chupa, right? They had the 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 actual ceremony of the wedding, and then, um, and then at some point, right? She seems to have again, based on this original case, they did not have sexual intercourse to consummate the wedding initially. She apparently then has some kind of affair that counts as adultery. There are witnesses to that effect. And then when he does come to sleep with her as part of consummating the, the marriage, he discovers that she no longer seems to be a virgin. Um, so the Gemara says here, right, that, be, or or rather, maybe they haven't had chuppah yet, and this is after betrothal. We should make that distinction as well. I think the Gemara here presumes that it's betrothal, and I'm linking to the case, the initial case, where it was discussed as that they've already had chuppah. But I, it's not, there doesn't have to be a case of chuppah for this to be a considered a case of adultery, right? The the question of what happens to them in terms of payment and so on, um, that can depend on betrothal versus versus Nisuin, right? We saw that yesterday. Okay. Um, but the point is that then she would get a, the the line here, Yesh la Ketuba Manesh, she has a 100 dinar Ketuba instead of a 200 dinar Ketuba is interesting because the complaint about Motzei Shemra, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> If it's if it's found to be true, means that she's gonna and there's witnesses and there was a warning and everything like that that's necessary for mita uh, beting for the for the court to put a person to death um, means that she should actually be liable for death. Okay, so the gemara comes along and kind of comments on this brighter, right? Because as as I'm saying, the last this bit is surprising. The gemara also says it's surprising. Meaning, who's to say that she's going to have a ketubah of a hundred dinar? Why is she having a ketubah at all? She's supposed to be stoned, meaning she's not getting a hundred mana. So rather, read it this way. Meaning, if there are witnesses who say that she committed adultery, then she's going to get this punishment of stoning. Meaning, if they can, if all the details are in place for for Amita Beitin, then she's going to be stoned. Forget the ketuba money. But if she had had, um, if she had sexual intercourse with somebody prior to the wedding, prior to the betrothal, right? Meaning, when she was still officially single, so she hasn't committed adultery. That is when she would get a ketuba mana. That's when she would get a hundred dinar because she's not a virgin, so she doesn't get she's not entitled to two hundred mana. But that's promiscuity, let's say. That's that's behavior that the Gemara doesn't like. But that's not the same thing as adultery, which is an affront and an offense against the the husband. Fine. We come back to the Brita. Nimsa Shashemra a no shemra. If it's discovered, if it's determined, right, by the court that it's not true, right? That the accusation turns out to be false. Then he is flogged, meaning lashes, right? And he has to pay a hundred sela. And that's going to be true, whether or not they have slept together. 
Rebelezer ben Yaakov, and remember, we've got this machloka between Rabban and Rebelezer ben Yaakov. Here he says, Lo halalo ben Yaakov says that all of this is only in the case where they did, in fact, where the couple did, in fact, sleep together before he defamed her, right? Meaning, the this is a case of potentially false defamation, but Rebelezer ben Yaakov says all of this, the way this procedure unfolds, only takes place um, if the couple has already had sexual intercourse to consummate the wedding. So the Gemara says, well, okay, that's according to Rebelezer ben Yaakov, the focus then is on that verse in Devarim about this, you know, this marriage and the case of a Motzei Shebra, where it says specifically in the verse, that he he takes a he marries and he goes into her, goes in unto her, if you prefer the biblical translation, right? And then the, when Vakrav Elaha, when I came near to her, right, that he says he didn't. This is his claim, right? I came near to her and I did not find that she was a virgin. And the the Gemara is pointing out that both of these expressions to Vaela and Vakrav mean or or speak in a in a euphemistic way about sexual intercourse. But El Rabbanan, but for the Rabbanan who do not say that this has to take place, meaning they've said whether they've slept together or they haven't slept together, either way, what are they going to do with these phrases from the Torah that Rebbe Yaakov uses to understand specifically that there had been sexual intercourse? So the Gemara says, He says, going in to her is the is literally the claim against from the husband against the wife, meaning that he came to her with this complaint, with this accusation. Um, and then when I came near to her comes to mean with words, right? As opposed to <clears throat> as opposed to physically, as opposed to with you know the fact that they would have had sexual intercourse. So the Gemara, of course, is going to go on here and go back to the opinion of Rebels and Yaakov and, and you know trace them all through. I mean, I guess the opinion of the Chachamim is just very difficult to understand because how could you bring, you know, sort of this question about Betulim unless you knew, <laughs> literally, if you actually knew that. But I, I, I mean, I guess it would be a question of if just there was a suspicion or he knew something else took place, the husband. Right, right. I mean, I imagine that a lot of cases of complaints about adultery you know, it's not because somebody caught, I don't know. I don't even want to get involved. But yes, exactly. I think that it's a difficult, I think it's a difficult situation. I think Rebbe Lazar Yaakov's position is much smoother, a clearer understanding from the Torah, a clearer, like, likelihood in the case of this, this scenario. Yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. So I'm going to move on to the Mishnah on the next half, on the next Amit, excuse me. Um, and again, we're still sort of really thinking about sort of like, what does, what's the relationship between the daughter and the father? Right. So a father has authority over his daughter in terms of how she gets married through money or through a star, through a marriage document, or actually through uh, intercourse. So we're going to learn about this more when we get to Masachi Kedushin that those are essentially the three ways within which somebody can get married. Uh, 
He's also entitled to items that she's found, her earnings, and to nullify her vows. And he also can accept her bill of divorce, right, uh, before she becomes uh, a, a Bogaret. Um, so, which is also very interesting. Um, and even though he can inherit her property when she dies, right? Like, let's say property she got from her mother, he doesn't get the produce of her property during her lifetime. Um, and he said, if she gets married, yet to our love, the husband now has more rights. He actually can consume the produce of her property. Right? He's also obligated to provide for her. The Pirkonaha. Uh, he's also her redemption. He's responsible for if she was captured, Ukvurata, and he also has to provide for her burial. So part of what this mission is doing is, is it's saying like, okay, again, we've talked a lot about that. A lot of what marriage was, was sort of an economic arrangement and it's describing it as such, right? What were the economic responsibilities for a father? Well, it talks about it a little bit less economically, but in other words, what was a father what did he control or what was he obligated to with his daughter? What is the husband obligated to? Rabbi Yehud Omer, Afilu Ani Shabi Yisrael, Lo Yivchot Mishnei Chalilin Umekonanet. I cannot have less than two flutes and a, you know, like a professional lamenter woman uh, for a funeral. Like that's, you know, sort of what's obligated if she were to die. Um, and then the Gemara is essentially, um, going to go through because of Minalan. How do we know that the father, right, actually gets the money uh, at the time of his daughter's betrothal, right? That that he's entitled to that money, that it doesn't go directly to her. And they're going to basically go through a series of different halachic scenarios, uh, either using psukim or other cases to say, we can learn from this or we can learn from that. Ultimately, uh, they basically learn it from Nidarim uh, but it's, you know, an interesting piece of Gemara to sort of see, like, how they try to work that through. But the mission itself is interesting because it really shows sort of, you know, women you know, were really, women not, were really independent. not independent. <laughs> I mean, they, I mean, they, they economically, they economically were controlled either by their father or by their husband. Um, yeah, I think that this goes, this is a different, this is the control by the father thing, I think, is also a, a different uh, it, it, it's not just about the economic control, I think, right? There's no recognition of any stage between Beit Avil and Beit Ba'ala, from her father's house to her husband's house. Right, correct. There isn't, like, an in-between there. It's you go from one to the other. Right, so then I feel like the, you know, whether we want to call the woman property or not, um, you know, this is certainly part of the aspect there, right? That it's not just protecting her and it's not that just that she didn't have any economic standing, but that she's kind of like under the roof of all of her life. And while there may be, in fact, protection in that in that capacity and so on, um, there's, you know, if we want to talk about um, autonomy or like the only times that we've really seen a woman standing on her own is in the case, those cases a couple of them ago where we saw that the father had died and that the husband, he's either died or now she's divorced from him. And now she's got some standing on her own, but under, you know, less adverse circumstances, 
That never happens. And I wonder what the women of that day felt about this. Yeah, I, I don't think people knew to expect differently. Like, I think this is just how the world worked. And I, my assumption is actually Judaism or Halakha was actually probably progressive is the right word. But, you know, I mean, look at the list of what the husband has to really provide for. Her. Like, he, he has a financial obligation once he takes on a wife. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I Yeah, I don't, I shouldn't uh, overthink it. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rink is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend E. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow.